Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This is a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars concerning RPG design and publishing. This panel has been recorded at Gen Con 2016 and sponsored by the Indie Game Developer Network. Episode 95, Gearheads, Clever RPG Mechanics. Recorded at Gen Con 2016. Presented by Jason Pitt and Emily Care Boss. Welcome to Gearheads, where Emily and I geek out about new uh, game mechanics that people need to know about. Uh, my name is Jason Pitt from Genesis of Legend Publishing. Uh, I published the Spark role-playing game, Post Human Pathways, Sig the City Between, worked on Headspace, and uh, a number of other smaller projects. Um, my name is Emily Kierbos. I've got my romance trilogy in one volume here at the IGDM booth uh, that we're both a part of, 2311 over at the Hall. It's awesome! <laughs> it's three romance-themed games with a, a mess of halves and different mods. Uh, I also got to work on Bubblegum Shoe this year, which is a, a gumshoe version um, that's basically from Mars with a um, uh, serial number styled off. And did that with Ken Height, Face of Steel. That was a lot of fun. And a bunch of other games. Um, and we are here to talk about the cool and shiny new game design technology um, that we've seen uh, and played with that. Uh, we think would be interesting to talk about. Um, so, who here are game designers slash publishers? Yes. Okay. Uh, er, uh, who here is just trying to hack and interested in hacking and game mechanics? Fantastic. Is there anyone who has not raised their hand? If so, love to know. Okay. Try to not raise Okay, that, that's that's excellent. So yeah, uh, this is going to be an incredibly t- uh, technical and jargon laden. If there's any, uh, if people are uncertain on the specific terms we're using or games we're referring to, let us know and we'll explain more. I like designing origin languages just to put that in there. It's not. I don't. I'm not hacking, but I'm designing from scratch. Uh, okay. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, it's all influence. It's influence. It's inspired. It's inspired. Yeah, I'm acting. There you go. That's the first rule of game design. Steal, steal, steal. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I want to know a little bit more about what kinds of games people are interested in and play. Because um, there's such a, a broad spectrum. Um, who who uh, likes really, really crunchy, uh, complicated systems? Okay, good. Good. And who's interested in rules light or story focus? <laughs> yeah, you want to do it all, don't you? Say and a game. merger between would be the best. Crispy. Yeah. That's what he was saying. Chris crispy. crispy. I do crispy. It's crispy. crispy. It's, crispy. 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 Yeah. it's not crunchy. It's not soft. It's crispy. That's what I designed. Yeah. And then uh, live action, because uh, I think that was probably most of the time. Just a little bit. All right, we get a lot of those. We'll focus on the tabletop today, since that's where most people are. All right. Uh, so, oh, there's so many things we could start talking about. I'm not sure. How about if we just rave about a game you think is really, really smart and cool? Okay, fantastic. Why don't we go through the award winners uh, for the Indie Grand Breaker Awards? Oh, yeah, great idea. So, 
we happened to both be judges, uh, two of the four judges for the Indie Groundbreaker Awards, which were announced uh, on Wednesday evening. These are a host of really good, really smart games uh, that all do very interesting things. In no particular order, the games included uh, 14 Days, which is a game about chronic pain uh, and how it steals your time. And it's actually set up with an agenda, like a day planner, like week planner. And you're saying, like, I need to do three things today. Oops, I can't do this today, so I have to push this, that off to tomorrow. And then, oops, I can't manage to do all those things, so I'm going to have to push that off to Saturday because I'm working tomorrow. And it's using the calendar and time um, as a key mechanic. Sounds stressful. Yes. <laughs> it's a short game, and it's really focused on helping you understand what it's like to deal with this pain. It's a short two-player game as, as another thing, which is very interesting. That's a neat mechanic that you could steal and put into something else where you're trying to put pressure on your players or, or to have someone put pressure on players um, uh, in particular way. Let's go with the other days <laughs> as another example. 183 Days was another game. Uh, it's a card game. It's also for two players. And it's focused on a relationship. And it has a, a, a story element that influences all the mechanics. Both of the characters are clairvoyant. So they know when the relationship's going to begin and end, and they're going to do it anyway. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of dramatic irony in this game. You have uh, a lot of anticipation of what you know is going to happen, and you're playing towards that. And they use a really interesting mechanic where there's cards that you uh, turn over as the game goes through, and the, uh, the rate at which the cards comes up prompts you for different things that are going to happen in the game. And it allows you to have that sense of fate and things being uh, inevitable. And one of the things that's really interesting with that game is it the cards will do things like saying, so, tell the other person about a terrible heartbreak that you, you the player, have had in your in your past. Hardcore. <laughs> so, that's a super interesting and terrifying mechanic that I need to use somehow. Because... Making somebody reflect. Yeah. About themselves. <laughs> yeah. Just and and, then, and now, now play the game. Yeah, yeah. Not, not that you've spoken. Get a couple skeletons yeah. out of that closet. Um, there's another game uh, that does that. Um, sustained eye contact. It's a LARP. Another of the yeah. winners was Fall of Magic, which I'm not sure if some of you have seen it. It's, it's a very unusual uh, presentation. Most of the game is actually a scroll of the world. So it's a beautiful map that has a path that goes through this, this fantasy landscape. Uh, the central uh, story of the game is uh, that magic is dying in the world and disappearing. And so you're part of a, a group that's uh, clustered around a mage who is uh, part of the story of what's happening to the magic. It's very collaborative, but uh, the unique thing is that you're basically telling the stories you go along as you move your characters, uh, uh, your tokens along this map. And the map itself prompts you for what kinds of scenes you're going to have, what kind of encounters you're going to have. Um, and I, I've played several times, and I, I'm keeping myself from see, looking what's on the rest of the map. I want to see it in play. Um, when you get done with the scroll, there's actually an island that you can pop off to, so it's really unusual, really neat way to use the, the artistic elements in the game. Uh, there is Ten Candles. Uh, Ten Candles is a horror game with two mechanics that are very interesting and reinforceless. Uh, one, you are 
actually using like T candles as the timer. Uh, when a, a can you will extinguish candles at a certain predetermined rate as scenes finish, and if a candle goes out for other reasons, the candle is out. The scene is done. Uh, this means that you play it in a dark room with these candles, and the light shrinks and shrinks so and cool. shrinks and shrinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's really atmospheric. Um, and you don't know exactly when it's going to end. It could. Oh. And awesome. one of the other things that's in there that's super interesting is there's a ritual phrase, um, and it is thing that is true, thing that is true, thing that is true, thing that is true. Um, um, and the world is dark, but we are alive. That's our, uh, but, uh, but we, we, we are alive and the world is dark. Something along those lines. So you chop off bits of this sentence as you go through the game until um, the second last scene, uh, the world is dark and we are alive. In the last scene, the world is dark. As you put out the last candle. It's another game where you know the characters are going to... You know what's going to happen to these characters playing towards that inevitable Yep. Train wreck. Yep, that's going to be bad. Yep. <laughs> um, on a related note, old classic game, Dread. Everyone knows Dread? We're good? We're good? It uses Jenga. Oh, okay. Dread is on tabletop. It is a game that, that uses a Jenga tower. I've heard of it. Uh, yeah. For best horror game ever. Um, yeah. A buddy of mine just YouTubed it pretty recently. It's actually on there if you look it up now where they ran through it. I don't know. I like it better than, Will, like, I don't want to promote somebody else's, but it's also indie comparatively to Will Wheaton because I wasn't a huge fan of the tabletop oh. one of it. I don't know. I wasn't big on it. What, what's the name of the... the uh, it's Nerds and Stuff Nerds is and the stuff. YouTube site. So, like, they have a dread on there. It's just... It, Wait, we, we, we might be able to make sure that the creator... Knows about that. So. I'm, I'm married to Epidemic Ravishoff, who is the designer of Dread. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it because it starts out like how I feel like a Dread's supposed to be. It's jokey and funny for a while. Yeah. And in the second half, everyone's just tense and like, oh god, oh god. And there's it's like something, that perfect horror vibe. There's something about being around the table when you have the Jenga tower where you're pulling. Uh, at first, it's pretty easy. You know, you can get a bunch of the, 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 the blocks out, no problem. But then as the tower gets rickier and rickier, it's wonderful just watching a table of people playing Dread because they start going like this or, you know, they're really careful about not touching the table. And the whole tension that you have of the characters being in, in danger feeds right into your own physiological system where you're experiencing stress and tension from watching this tower. And then there's this release where every so often the tower falls. When that falls, a character actually dies. Um, and then everyone can sort of... You know, say, oh, it's okay again. But for every character that has died, you have to pull out so many bricks, so it's it's harder and harder as it goes along. Um, and actually, right now, um, uh, Epi has uh, done a, a revised version of Dread in a, 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 a sword and sorcery fiction and game museum that he does called Worlds Without Master, which is available through Patreon. You can find it online. Um, and he uh, took Dread and put it into a sword and sorcery setting, um, and combined it actually with um, Apocalypse World type questions, if you're familiar with that game. Uh, it's another one that um, is a well-designed game. Yeah. Um, so in addition to having the tower, you also have these really hard-hitting questions that you're, you're being asked by the, 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 the uh, GM as you go along. And it's very deep. It's, it's called the, uh, the Doom of uh, Geese, 
Dread to Fish of Duke Boku, and again, another game where everything goes horribly well. <sighs> yeah, uh, opening the floodgates. Uh, let's go with uh, the uh, West Coast Trio. Uh, so, Microscope, Kingdom, and Downfall. Is this still in the Indie Groundbreaker Awards? Uh, Downfall, Downfall is in the Indie Groundbreaker Awards. Okay. Uh, which is why, it, which is the inspiration for this. So, Downfall is the most recent of these three, and it won. So, setting. Setting? Yes, excellent. Um, so, in Downfall, there is a society that has a fatal flaw. This fatal flaw can be something like patriotism. Uh, or um, courage. Or xenophobia. It, it is a thing that is twisting your cultural traditions. And everything just spirals out of control. Because you effectively say, here's cultural tradition, here's fatal flaw, now this will break this. And you just burn through all cultural traditions. Uh, and then watch it spiral into anarchy. Um, Microscope and Kingdom are two sort of related games that were written by Ben Robbins, uh, another person from the, the Pacific Northwest. Um, Kingdom, you're creating a game. Um, see how it plays out. Um, and Microscope is a game that I pretty much recommend to everybody play at some point. It's a very non-traditional role-playing game. The role-playing aspect of it is, is slight. It's very small. But it has a really different function than in a lot of other games. In most role-playing games, we play to role-play, to be the characters, to make those choices. Microscope is a game where you're creating a long arc of history, uh, from the bookended, sort of by beginning and, and uh, final event, like maybe it's the rise of humanity and then the fall of the first empire, that kind of thing. In between, you're creating eras, and then you have events that happen within those eras, and that's where the scenes come in, where you play a character perhaps only once, but you're answering some question about that era, like, why did the king betray his people? And then you play out a scene, and once you've uh, figured out what it is that, this, that motivated the, the, that character, then you move on. So the, the role-playing aspect is just to shed light on the, the background and the motivations of this larger sweeping drama. It's a great game to play if you're setting up a background for a campaign that you're running. Um, it gets everybody on board because you actually use note cards, and everybody in turn just writes something on a note card and adds a piece of this timeline. So everyone's ideas are involved. And it's the kind of thing where I've played it, and then I look at these you know, two cards, and I say, I just want to play a whole game that happens between this event and this event. Uh, and there's even a supplement that allows you to do time travel with that, allows you to do a bloodline, and uh, another one which is uh, focusing on like a specific object or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... The reason why uh, I'm sort of lumping these three together is they follow the same design aesthetic. They play test uh, each other's games, etc. Caroline and Ben are uh, close designers, and they all use this index card as visual uh, arrangement of information, which is super interesting to have. Um, And I totally think stealing it because it's really versatile. Um, so, strongly recommend you check that out uh, if you haven't done so yet. 
What was that one called again? Sorry. Uh, Downfall Microscope Kingdom. Microscope was the timeline Mi- one. Yeah. Downfall is the kingdom that you create that it has a tragic flaw. So, um... Should we talk about some crunchy games? I've got one that I want to pitch. Okay, go for it. Okay. So there's a game company called Sanguine Productions or Publications. Is anybody familiar with some of their games? They did Iron Claw, Jade Claw, um, uh, Myriad Song. They're... I really, really want to meet the community that plays them someday because there's a lot of people out there who play them, but I don't run into them as much. But um, I was introduced to them actually by my husband at Badaya Ravishov, who's an old fan. Um, and there's a particular um, game that I played several times of theirs that's based on the Usagi Yojimbo series of comics that are in, uh, that, um, uh, that it, it's amazing. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And it's uh, deals with a rabbit samurai, basically, and has a lot of Japanese folklore in it, really funny, beautifully drawn uh, comic, and um, and the, the game itself is beautiful, and it uses a lot of the illustrations, so it in itself is just gorgeous, um, and the author of the comic uh, was ill recently, so they, they put it out again in a beautiful hardcover copy that raised money for him, which is very touching, um, and the game itself is very, very true to the genre. That's one of the things that I love about a lot of game mechanics where you, you really just feel like you're, you're playing the story, that the game mechanics lead you to do the things that the characters in a story uh, that you love to read do. Um, and this one, uh, it's you're playing samurai. Um, we're traveling about and adventuring and helping people usually. Um, and there's certain mechanics in it that just make you feel like this is the great samurai film or, or dramas. One of them is uh, Focus. So at any point when you're going to combat, and the combat is very complicated, um, uh, at least from my perspective, I play a lot of rules-like games. So this is this is the, the crunchiest that I really love. Um, and you have many gifts that you're bringing to bear. There's a lot of modifiers when you get into play. Um, but something that you can do at the beginning if you win initiative is to gain focus. And uh, once you've played a little while, you know that's definitely what you want to do because you can. it allows you to respond to someone else's attack and interrupt what they're doing, um, uh, giving you the upper hand even though somebody attacked you. And it simulates, um, you've probably seen at some point or other, a uh, 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 standoff between two samurai where they're just measuring each other up. They're staring each other in the eye, and you can just feel the palpable energy of them trying to figure out what's going to be the right first move. Um, and so if you're a really uh, uh, seasoned person, you can... Um, uh, take someone's measure and then respond and see what they're going to do even though they're taking the first move. So it just really gives you that. <laughs> um, also on the heavy crunchy side, there is a game that I believe every designer should have on their shelf and everyone's designer should be trying to find a way to play it. I'm saying trying to find because it's hard to actually play it. Uh, Blood Red Sands by Ralph Mazza, published by Galileo Games. Blood so, Red Sands? Blood Red Sands. So, That's actually here at IGDN. At the IGDN booth. Uh, 2311. The reason why I'm saying this is, it is a game that, uh, thematically, it's um, a group of champions trying to take down the terrible Witch King in this sort of devastated fantasy uh, wasteland that is in no way close to uh, Dark Sun. Um, <laughs> and you have... There's uh, four champions, and it's a competitive role-playing game 
where you're trying to effectively show that you are the best champion through a, an elimination stock tournament system. Each session is one hero dealing with like a city and the various factions in it. Um, and you're trying to get the most points out of all four of you. And then the weakest one gets kicked out and he's only playing the factions. Then you do another single re- elimination round. You're playing and then one, the, one of each person? Or, well, or so it's one hero and everyone else is playing the GM role. Oh. And, and antagonism. And they get points for being a good antagonist for their hero. And so it's rounds, elimination, um, competitive role-playing game that is the role-playing game equivalent of diplomacy. Like, it has, like, yes, you can do this, but what would be the challenge in that? Um, Like, here's an exploit. Don't do it. That's the cowardly way. Um, And it's like, here's how you... Uh, trick them into overcommitting here so you can beat them this way. And um, the one who survives and goes through the full elimination tournament gets to fight the Witch King. And we'll see if they succeed. The question is, though, it's not a party role-playing game, though. Exactly. So it's one 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 hero versus, like, uh, four faction GMs. So, but then... Is the Witch King just already designed then, or uh, are they the Witch King at the end? Uh, no, no. Uh, well, the, the Witch King is already designed, and okay. there's all sorts of... There, there's, there's a beautiful system behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. One of the key things that happens is, functionally, let's say I'm the hero. I say, okay, I'm the hero right now. So the four of you are just going to sit here and uh, make the adventure for me. I'm going to go to the bar and grab a drink. I'll be back in half an hour. And then you come in and they, hi, welcome, welcome, welcome to the city. And they don't, and you have no idea what they schemed and came up with to mess you up. Uh, some of the factions are working for the Witch King. Some of the factions are working against the Witch King. And if the one working for the Witch King buddies up with the hero, and the hero supports them. No, it's a, it's like campaign. campaign because it's okay. session, 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 okay. uh, elimination. Okay, yeah. Like, it's big. But it's like a mini Fixed campaign. number of players. I think it's something like 12 sessions. Oh, it's 12 sessions. Like, like 12 sessions, 5 players. So it's heavy and hard to logistically manage. But super rewarding. When you play get eliminated, then, because you only have 5 factions, but you're playing 12 times... Yeah, so whenever uh, someone is eliminated, their hero doesn't show up again. Mm-hmm. But they just keep being a faction. Yep. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's... Have it on your shelf. Read it. It's oh, super engaging. Um, in the same way, Burning Wheel. Make sure you have a copy of Burning Wheel if you don't have one. They have their own booth. Burning Wheel Headquarters. I don't know if you what it is, but... It's funny that yes. you mentioned that. Yes. What's Burning, uh, Burning Wheel right Gold is, is what you're looking for. This is you guys got it. Burning Wheel is a fantasy archetype. That's the Kickstarter version. It combines the Master Manual, Magic Manual, uh, character creation, and then so, something else. Yeah, you're looking for Burning Wheel Gold, and I believe it's 25 bucks. This is Codex, actually. Codex right, is oh, right, right, right. But Codex other people will need to have the Burning Wheel Gold start. Well, no, and then the Codex. This has it. Gold is baked I think they combined everything. Uh, no, I thought it was just all the supplements, so it was Gold plus Codex, if I recall. Let's see this. Um, 
adventurer. Luke, where are you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, so go go to Burning Wheel headquarters and ask just, I need Burning Wheel, and they'll help you. They'll be happy to help you. It's the same rough system oh, behind Mouse Guard and Burning Empires. Um, and it's an elegant and interesting system with, that has a lot of mechanical levers and is a, it is a delight to read through and it also um, makes okay. it makes you work very hard to uh, win over external obstacles, but also makes the internal aspects of the character really central. Uh, you have beliefs that you have to build upon, and so what the characters uh, believe and feel is as important as what they do. What actions they take. Um. I was wondering whether we should talk about uh, Apocalypse World and... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, so this is about the time when we can open up the floodgates of Apocalypse World. <laughs> so has uh, anyone played Apocalypse World here? Hands? Really? Uh, and then there are a lot of different games that are hacks of the Apocalypse World system. Dungeon World is one of the most popular. Uh, hands there. Yeah. Um, Cartel. Uh, yeah, so Cartel is new. So... Uh, Let's, let's go chronologically on, like, the earliest ones to now. I don't know if I could do that. Well, roughly. Like, yeah. So, um, Apocalypse World First Edition came out in, like, 2011. Sounds about right. So, um, Dungeon World came out. Uh, so, Apocalypse World is Mad Max Fury Road. And it is the game, just pick it up uh, in second edit as soon as it comes out. Um, and you might want to just buy the PDF First Edition anyways and read through it, because it is... It is a masterwork uh, of mechanical beauty and game design. Um, it is the game you need to read if you haven't read it yet. One of the things it does is that it breaks out the world into um, character types uh, that are archetypal, um, and each of them gives you so much information about what the world is and how your character interacts with the world that um, it all comes together and, and also supports the GMing in a really strong way. Uh, the GM has all these moves that they make, just like players might make moves or take, take actions. Um, and it's all become scenes. Uh, you're actually not supposed to talk about what you're doing, but they give you uh, a, a really good structure for doing that. The core mechanical element of uh, Apocalypse World and the Powered by the Apocalypse games in general is uh, when something happens in the fiction, Roll 2d6. On a 10+, plus, you get what you want. On a 7 to 9, you get some of what you want, or it's complicated. 6 minus, the GM will tell you something terrible that's happened. Um, and it's probably your fault. Um, so, now, these fictional triggers are set up in moves. Uh, the consequences are set up in moves. So, for instance... Uh, um, uh, go aggro. This is uh, in Apocalypse World. I pull out a gun, I put it to your forehead, and I'm, and I'm saying, do this. Uh, and you're effectively forced, uh, the, the person who's targeted is forced to choose if they're going... Uh, on a 10 plus, they do what you want. On a 7 to 9, uh, they might uh, suck it up and just like, no. Do it, um, or they might back down, or they might bunker and hide out in their uh, in the burnt out wreck of a car. And often the GM gives you three choices, and you have to choose among them. So either they back down, uh, you're not hurt, and no one else that you love is hurt at the same time. 
So if you get a ten, you get all three of those. Otherwise, you pick two. Yeah. So something bad is going to happen. Um, it's so uh, it is um, stake setting, divine stake setting, uh, highly dependent on fictional positioning. The most interesting results happen like 50, 60 percent of the time at, at seven to nine, where you're making hard choices constantly. Um, it's the GM system is robust, and it explicitly talks about some GM bits that, um, and I, I will get to GM mechanics later because that's my current love. Um, <coughs> the playbooks, as Emily was mentioning. Are, yeah, so it's self-contained character classes as handouts uh, with pre-made selections, so you can just make it out of a con game and like make up characters at the table in ten minutes. Yeah. Go. And each character has relationships with the other player characters, so you have a really quick way to build in a history, and really good for a con game. Um, and it's super hackable by, divine, uh, by uh, design. Which is the reason why we're talking about the Powered by the Apocalypse games, not just Apocalypse World. Um, so, you were asking? Well, I just had a quick question. I was just thinking about something based on that, because you're talking about how the elegant structure is of all of this and whatnot. And just a, from a design perspective, just asking you guys, if you want something that's going to be able to appeal to also like intro new players, do you think that staying away from freeform is a better idea, or if structure, like, do you think structure with intro newer role players is more necessary, or can you have a free form and be able to get somebody on board with that? I think that's you know? a big question. Um, I think that there's a value to a both structure and free form role play, that's what you mean, yeah. or you just kind of have your character and you say what You're you do. You're kind of going with it, and yeah, yeah it's a little, there's less rules heavy and whatnot, so you can just kind of, yeah. I think um, most games are sort of a, a bridge between those of course, two. Of course. Um, there's a, a movement in um, games actually to do more freeform, where you're more and more letting go of the stats, letting go of the dice, and just basing it on whatever your narrative keys are, what the character is, what you can do in the world. And when you do that kind of design, you still need structure. Like maybe everyone knows what the story is. Um, uh, like some of the games we talked about earlier, like 180, 183 days. You know these characters are going to fall in love and then something's going to be terrible and they're going to end the yeah. relationship. So everyone's on the same page. So from my perspective, from design, the most important thing is making sure that all the players, the GMs and facilitators are on the same page and doing the same story. They're pushing forward the same story. So whether you're using mechanics and dice for that, or you're using something else that might be a shared understanding of the story will be. You need some, something to guide everybody. Um, and I'd like to specifically highlight Mulsingau 1244, which is a highly structured game with pre-generated characters and zero stats and just a bunch of leading questions, and you go through scenes about uh, deciding if um, some of these Cathars are going to renounce their faith or burn the stake. And it's a beautiful production value. It's, it has a leather map, and you're going through like it is. It is glorious, and it is exactly in the free form, but constrained highly space. Um, um, I had a few more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go, go forth. So, Apillion is one of the, the newest. It just got released this year, and it's a it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game written by Marissa Kell from Magpie Games, and you're playing dragons. Oh, no. So it's Baby kind of like um, uh, um, my, my Little Pony. Yeah. Uh, with uh, friendship with magic, 
Dragons are also magic. Everything is magic. <laughs> and it's a gorgeous game. So this is a My Little Pony version of... My it's Little Pony really Spyro. It's more... It's is, it, is it camp? <laughs> it's not, actually. It's intended to be light, Okay. but, uh, but not camp, necessarily. You have a okay. question? What was it called? Uh, a and uh, thank you for asking, it's an unusual word. It means a short epic poem, and it's spelled E-P-Y-L-L-I-O-N. Um, gorgeous book. Really beautiful. Uh, it is at the Indie Game Developer Network. Uh, booth 2311 we're just going to say just go there and we have all the games <laughs> um, that's also where Blood Red Sands is that's where uh, Number of the Bar games yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> what book was that again? Her game is awesome 2311 yeah. don't games. your games a little bit then too um, yeah, unless you don't <laughs> well, what is clever about your mechanics my, my, right. my games are terrible so let's talk about Emily's <laughs> so the romance trilogy um, a set of three uh, classic games that were produced, uh, what, 2005? Yeah, 2007? 2005. Uh, um, 2009. Yeah. Uh, and these were effectively the innovative games that introduced, like, relationship games in the North American tabletop scene, for the most part. Uh, effectively. Of others, but, but unique in Yeah, um, and they are amazing. Uh, and emotionally gripping, and one uh, a session playing through uh, shooting the moon, which is the uh, two rival lo- um, suitors trying to grab uh, someone's heart, um, led me to design one of my own games, uh, Posthuman Pathways, which is a uh, three-player transhumanist uh, science fiction role-playing game on five pamphlets. Uh, in which case, uh, you are. Uh, Playing individuals who are shaped by technology and are trying, having to sacrifice things to keep up uh, with the ever-changing future. So it's Poplar's Future Shock kind of thing. And the thing that works in that one is uh, each player has three scenes, and one in youth, adulthood, and um, their elder years. And in those scenes, each character has four things that matter most to them in the world. In each of their scenes, they're sacrificing one in favor of another. This means out of the four things that matter most to them in the world, by the time the game is done, they have one left. <laughs> and all you're doing is you're just crossing things off as you play through the scenes. And it just hurts. We and should, it's... Yeah. We should have talked about your game more in our heart-wrenching uh, RPGs panel. Yeah, well, I don't like talking about my own games. <laughs> so, But yeah, it's also ten bucks. So if you can get ten bucks for you know a weird game that looks like a chocolate bar and makes you sad... Throwing <laughs> <laughs> a chocolate bar is perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you mind if I talk about mine? Yes. So, just the, a little bit about the mechanics of the three romance games that I wrote. Breaking the Ice is the first one, and it's about two characters going on their first three dates. So, it's a collaborative game for two players. And you're trying to work against the system to see if you can get these crazy kids to fall in love. Um, it ends up actually being sort of a romantic comedy because the way you play the game is you, you take turns having focusing on your character. The other person isn't the GM, but they're the guide. They're sort of helping and, and awarding dice to you as you play. Um, and at first, you have things go well. You say, oh, well, I'm bringing you to uh, your favorite restaurant, and you know, I've asked you out, and I've uh, played some great music as we're driving there. And you roll some dice to see whether you get enough um, dice to be able to increase the attraction between the two characters. It's a shared trait, actually, um, that you're building together. 
if you don't get enough successes, you keep going, and now you have things start going wrong. Oh, God. We get to the restaurant, and they're closed for renovations. And then the sky opens up, and it starts pouring rain on you. Um, so you have a setup where things are going well, and then a letdown, you know, sort of a status drop for the characters. And it's often very light and funny. It can be really tender and heart- heartbreaking. There's a conflict that each of the characters is trying to overcome. But you use the conflict, actually, to get more dice. So everything that you play, good things and bad, bring you towards being able to have the characters fall in love. Um, but the system is pushing back against you. You have so reality checks in between the date. You might lose some of your attraction as you go, I know, what do you mean when you said that, uh, as we do in real life? Um, shooting the Moon that, that Jason talked about, it's a competitive game with collaboration. So uh, it's written for three, three players, I'll even expand it. Um, and so there's two characters uh, that are competing for the heart of the shared beloved. Um, and they're collaborating with the beloved on certain scenes. And then when it's the beloved's turn, everything's all, all holds your bar, no holds are barred. And the beloved uh, player creates the uh, obstacles that the others are encountering. Um, and you get dice, and you get more dice for having things more complicated or difficult happen to your character in order to try and be able to eventually succeed. That was um, close to that place, that, yeah. that, that mechanic. Um, and the other piece that, that, that reminds me of what you were describing was um, that over time you actually give more traits to the characters. Um, uh, if you win, you can probably give a trait to your character so you can talk about how heroic you are. And then if your opponent wins, then they can give you a trait. So the characters to develop over time in ways that you don't necessarily expect. But whether you get a negative or a positive trait, you can still use it as you go along. It just influences what kind of character you are. Uh, we played this once as a noir, and um, uh, the, the, one of the characters turned out to be very heroic, and the other was this dastardly, horrible person. So we were like, oh God, please don't let the beloved end up with that one. But this game is actually more tragic for that way, because you can't, you can't quite tell what's going to happen. But one piece that was important to me was to say, in a lot of uh, stories about this kind of sto- love triangle, you don't really care what the beloved thinks. So the beloved is a character, too. If they're being played, they've got a dream they're trying to accomplish. And it might be that they get it, and the, those two suitors go and do their own thing, whatever. Who cares about them? The beloved can be a winner at the end as well. Um, and the third game, Under My Skin, is a crazy game about people falling in love with all the wrong people. It's a social circle that suddenly erupts with it flirtations and infidelity, um, and it's a freeform game, it's a live-action game, so it uses um, meta techniques, which are sort of literary or film cinematic things where you might have a character give an inner monologue about what they're thinking or feeling, um, uses flashbacks and flash-forwards, and those are actually great techniques at tabletop, oh, yeah. and there's more games that are using them these days, but they're simple ways to just flesh out more about your character and to learn. Uh, on that note, everyone pick up uh, Play With Intent, Online, it's free. It's free. <laughs> Grab Play with Intent, um, which is full of meta techniques. It's a game that I wrote with a Norwegian designer, um, Matisse Holter, and you can go to my game uh, website, Black Green Games, which is on all of these sites. <laughs> um, all of these cards have a link to her site, which which will lead you to it. It's Jason's card, but it's kind enough to include a link to my site, and that has just a. A, a, a raft of different techniques that you can steal that I've taken from tabletop, from improv, um, from freeform LARP, from a lot of different sources, and it points you to more places there. Fantastic. Um, let's throw in some more PBTA because I also want to do Blades in the Dark. 
Okay. It's just oh, shiny. Um, yeah, so, uh, other ones that exist that are super interesting. Uh, Night Witches. Uh, so it is a game about uh, Soviet women fighter pilots in World War II who are fought, uh, flying like crop dusters and leftover World War I planes uh, to go after the Germans, uh, dropping sail off railroad ties. Night- nighttime bombing runs. Nighttime bombing runs. Totally dangerous. Uh, they, would ha- they got their name because they would fly over them, cut their engines, swoop, glide down silently, drop things, and then hit their engines again to swoop out. And it it like destroy them at night and just mess up their sleep and. A really interesting thing technically yeah, about yeah. this game is that there are uh, different types of mechanics for day and night. So you have the daytime where you're living out your life, you're dealing with sexism and you know love and all the things that happen uh, on base, and then you have the nighttime for the missions. It's a totally different set. Uh, um, and you do things in the daytime that give you currency that let you survive the nighttime. <laughs> And then you spend the daytime trying to recover from the stuff that, like, oh, my plane is half busted. You need a new plane. Um, Another great uh, popular world hack that's out there right now uh, uh, is the Warren. And it's it's essentially an adaptation of Watership Down. Uh, and there have been a couple of Bunnies and Burrows. is one of the oldest role-playing games, and it, it did that long ago. Uh, this one focuses on the emotional drama and trauma, I guess we, many of us have had over <laughs> that. Um, but a neat way that it adapts the apocalypse world system is that there's, um, uh, instead of having uh, each playset have a different set of moves, most of the rabbits are kind of start out the same, and then you take individual moves that you uh, attach to your character that make you stand out. And, um, and I'm a storytelling rabbit. Exactly. <laughs> um, and there's a panic score. Mm. As the panic goes up, if it goes too high... Effectively, you have a panic break, and it's like, no, so you uh, fight or flight or freeze. Either way, you're doomed when that box goes after you. And so, one that's called going far, right? Yeah. From the book? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a thing. Uh, the war is beautiful um, and so tragic. Beautifully illustrated by Richard. Oh, yeah. Um, other PBTA things Monster Hearts. Go for Monster Hearts. It is amazing uh, by Avery McDonaldo. It is a game about Vampire Diaries and Buffy and uh, Twilight um, in the way that make, that is the most horrific, one of the more, more horrific games around. Because it's a game about teenagers who happen to be monsters. Um, it's a game that's really good for delving into inter-player uh, drama. It really points you at each other. Um, it gives you all the tools that any apocalypse uh, world game would for the GM to create plots but it's really rich in the interactions. Um, you can put uh, these things called strings on one another, um, which you can call back in like a marker later on, um, and every character can get conditions put on them. So if something terrible happens, then you're dealing with the fact that you're, you're terrified or you're in love or something along those lines. Um, yeah, we actually had... Uh, I, I played a section of this, and someone had the condition a piece of shit put on them. Oh. So everyone thought that they were a bit a piece of shit. Oh. And then you <laughs> take actions in the game to get rid of these things. Yeah. Thankfully. But, like, yeah. Um, uh, another one that was built off, that was uh, slightly older than, slightly younger than that, uh, which was built off some of the same camp underpinnings, is Sagas of the Icelanders, which is uh, Icelandic blood drama. Uh, which is like family 
drama and things, feuds, and uh, the husband and the brother-in-law are feuding, and there's a really interesting... Effectively, you build up relationships that give you currency periodically uh, that let you ask questions about people um, and do other things like that. So it's... It's a, it has a really elegant social currency mechanic baked into it. Um, yep, yep. Uh, also, Headspace. Headspace is a cyberpunk game uh, powered by the apocalypse that is all about uh, shared emotional and shared emotions and shared consequences. That is to say, you are all cyberpunk operatives that share uh, a common neural network. This means you can borrow each other's skills. When you do so, you grab their emotional baggage along for the ride. There is actually a track in the middle of the table that shows your collective emotional state. So, oh, I have four points in ego, two points in grief, and one point in uh, rage. So that's how we all feel, because you can all see that and manipulate the track. Hmm. Um, because the... Um, that, that aforementioned 7 to 9 result is effectively, yeah, so pick some of these terrible negative complications and bad decisions that you make because of your emotions. Um, so that's brand new at the edge of game. So yes, are there any other ones PPT that we have? Uh, Dream Askew, find Dream Askew by Avery McDonald. It's a freeform um, uh, post-apocalyptic hack of apocalypse world. That is focuses on queering the apocalypse and dealing with it. Uh, you create an uh, enclave of queer folks who are creating a sort of utopian world in the midst of this decline of civilization. Key specific gearhead reason it mixes apocalypse world and fate correctly, beautifully. I have no idea how Avery did it, but it's magic. So check it out. What's it called? Uh, Dream Askew. Buried Without Ceremony is the publisher. So, yes, uh, and there's also Quiet Ear on there, which is also really good. Um, so, um... I've got a couple other games. Yeah, go for it. There's an older game called Steal Away Jordan, oh. uh, which you may or may not have heard about. It was originally written, um, uh, it, rather, it was written about ten years ago or so by Julia Ellenbo, um, uh, and it's set in antebellum America, so you're actually playing people who are enslaved African-Americans. And the game deals with how they deal with that, how they love and care for one another, and how they try and escape or um, uh, push back against the balance in their lives. Uh, it's got a couple of mechanics that are really smart that just are very strong in what they express. Um, uh, one of which is a really simple thing. Um, your character, you create it, and then it is named by the GM. So right there, it just expresses the lack of agency over their lives that, that these folks experienced. Um, the, the worth of characters is expressed by uh, dice for uh, slaves and masters. Um, and you get a mass of dice if you're a master. But actually, when the way the, way the things run out, roll, roll out when you use the, the, the stats, it doesn't actually make that much of a difference. You have a shit ton of dice if you're a master, but the slaves still have a really good running chance if they're fighting against you. And anybody at any time can use something called the skull die, which if everything's on the line, you really just need this to happen and you want to cut through everything else, you can roll that die. And if you get a six on it, then that's great. Things go your way. In the middle, it's sort of mixed. But if the skull comes up, because there's, and you may have seen these sort of bone-looking dice that have a skull instead of a one, your character just dies right there. 
So it's a little bit like pulling something, uh, pulling a block from the tower in, in, in dread, but it also expresses just how much was on the line for these characters. So very, really expressive and, and uh, deeply laden with um, symbolism and meaning in this mechanic yeah. story. Uh, Blades? Yeah, go for it. So, Blades in the Dark. One, John Harper is a wizard. Um, check out all, all of the games by John Harper, because they're, uh, most of them are free on his website. Um, he wrote Aegon, which is a really good sword and sorcery, or no, uh, sandals yeah. and swords game. And uh, he also did a lot of work on Talos Lanto over the years. Oh, really? Very, like, okay, smart, yeah. Um, I, I get it all the time. One of the key ones that people know about is Lady Blackbird. Um, he also did bootleggers, which is uh, people boot- bootlegging alcohol, and uh, there's a whole series of them that are very interesting. Uh, but the big one was Blades in the Dark. This went on Kickstarter uh, about, I want to say, about a year ago. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and it is an evolution of Apocalypse World in certain ways. Uh, it has a beautiful faction-based mechanic. Just to say what the setting is, yes. you're playing thieves in gangs who are trying to get a really great score. It's Lies of Locke Lamora. Uh, right, and it's... it's uh, um, Steampunk Lies of Locke Lamora. What's yeah. that video game? It's a medieval... Dishonored. 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 It's that. Um, the, so, it has a massive set of factions, and you have favor between that is ranked... These factions hold territory, so you can steal territory from them to get more mechanical benefits for your gang, uh, to be able to climb up the ranks, get reputation, and claw your way up the status ladder uh, to go from a tier zero, uh, your five people in a leaky boat, to a tier four, you own the crime syndicate in this entire neighborhood Blades and all of the gondolas. Blades in the dark? Yes. Um and you are securing gold, and you only get get more territory by stealing it from someone else, which means that there's, like, the faction mechanic is really elegant and well-designed. Uh, and there is a uh, crew sheet, which is your entire group's character sheet for your uh, collective uh, leveling up as you level up your collective group. And then all the individual characters underneath that uh, have their own character sheets. Um, it is a lot of the mechanics come down to things like uh, so what is your position is it a controlled position a risky position or a desperate position this will modify what you, what can happen so how, how much control do you have over your uh, actual situation when you're rolling the dice um, so we plan this correctly they have no idea we're coming it's controlled Everything's on fire, and there's guards all around us. This is desperate. So how much is dice-driven versus player-driven? Uh, it is... It's very dice-driven. It's not a free-form. There's a lot of very interesting GM-driving fictional positioning which triggers moves, which triggers dice. Like, this is one of those really big... Moving systems um, that is uh, probably equivalent to Burning Wheel in terms of overall complexity, um, and 
there, there's just so many things to talk about there that I'm just going to say, pick it up, you can get it on drive through. One of the, my favorite pieces of it uh, involves flashbacks. If you're oh. in a really desperate situation, you can trigger a mechanic that allows you to play out a little flashback from earlier where you were setting up the scene, maybe you were putting something in place or having a bribing somebody so they would help you on the inside where you're trying to steal something. Um, and then you, so you run this little piece of mechanic that might allow you to have a real advantage, even though it looked really bad. So it's kind of That's like really leverage cool. <laughs> the, the, the high television show. Uh, it, it might not work out for you, but it gives you another chance. And it, it's another really uh, story moment. Um, well, the other thing is uh, encumbrance. So encumbrance in this is, do you have a light load, medium load, or heavy load? Uh, light load, you look like a person. Medium load, you look like a criminal. Heavy load, you look like a criminal going on a mission. <laughs> uh, you have a list of things that you can grab, and all you do is you just, uh, that's how many, that, that is sort of the maximum number of things you can grab from your equipment list for various things on the mission. It's like, I need rope now. That's one of the three ways I can do as a light load. Um, so it's like, oh, I'm out. Well, crap, that, I only said I was bringing a light load, so I'm, I can't pull anything else out of a hat. Uh, super elegant, and the stress system is beautiful. Um, a lot of it consists of, um, as a GM, I'm going to declare something terrible that happens to you. Um, a uh, kraken comes out and tries and pulls you into the sea. Oh, would you like this to not happen? <laughs> so roll your resistance roll. You take stress equal to um, what you re- uh, six minus the result you got on your d6. So this means you might just get a little bit of stress. You might get a lot of stress. Too much stress turns into trauma, and that's your sort of energy currency that you're using on missions. You screw up missions, it screws up your factions here, things. Is this still Blades in the Dark? Yes. So, um, but uh, taking that stress means you don't get pulled away by the crack. So instead of rolling to see, uh, I might get pulled in, might not. It's just like I'm guaranteed not to get pulled in. But but you take a penalty. Yes. Well, what happens ah. if you just say I'm going to get pulled in? Then you get pulled in. Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. You live underwater. But it means like I was able to go in with as a like beautiful. Uh, this is super hard to do in a lot of games. I had a vampire. I say it, I go in and I mesmerize you. Or I resist. Okay, you take like mental stress. You don't get mesmerized. The vampire doesn't mind control you. Okay, done. That's super elegant and super hard to do in most other places. How much stress can you take before you're out of action? Oh, 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 you you get permanent injuries after a certain point and refresh your stress. So there's consequences. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you become burnt out and violent and paranoid and all these things. Yeah. We're getting close to the end. Should we maybe do a lightning round? Yeah, yeah, lightning. Yeah, lightning round. Yeah. This will be. uh, This panel will be recorded online at Jason's site, so you can come back to it later. You don't catch some of these names. Yeah, yeah. So. uh, I wanted to mention uh, Swords of That Master, and actually, Effie's here now. Hi. Uh, Which is a which is a a sword sorcery game in World of That Master that I mentioned earlier. It's it's. I'll say it even though Mary Poon. It's really groundbreaking. It has a lot of really different ways to approach storytelling. Um, definitely check it out. Swords of that master. Uh, I'm going to uh, say Mars Colony, two-player RPG. 
because we need more two-player RPGs, uh, which is uh, about a governor on Mars uh, trying to uh, save things, but the only way to do that is by lying to people. Uh, there are a couple of games at the IGDM booth that use tarot cards uh, as an alternate mechanic. Uh, one of them is mine. It's called Misericord, and it's a pick-up-and-play game that you play for a couple of hours. It's particularly good for new players. You create the world over time, and the tarot cards help you create a scenario, and then also uh, see whether things are going to go terribly wrong. If you pull a pool, everything gets turns upside down. Uh, and another is called The Fool's Journey, which is at uh, uh, IGDM as well. Um, uh... My, one of my other games, my collection game, is called Spark. It's a game about collaborative world-building and challenging your beliefs within them. And the collaborative world-building engine is the secret sauce, which is mostly like, what's a piece of media you like? What is an inspiration? What is the specific part of it that you like to pull out of it? And then you mix those specific parts together. So Babylon 5 turns into bustling markets. Game of Thrones turns into medieval politics. Bustling markets and medieval politics. Make things and you build settings that way. Um, Last one for me, anyway. Yep. <laughs> uh, the Gumshoe System uh, is a system written by Robin Laws that uh, uh, merges adventure with mysteries because a lot of times you can get hung up if you have a mystery and the players just don't figure out what the hell you're talking about. It, it, it basically creates a, bread, uh, a trail of breadcrumbs that you give for the players to absolutely get the clues that will get them to the mystery. Uh, and then deal with whatever with that or the adversity is there. And I got to work on a version of this called Bubble Dumb Shoe this year, uh, which is Veronica uh, Mars with the serial uh, numbers taken off of it. Uh, I, I was really proud of how we dealt with relationships in that. Oh, and violence is also super good. Oh, yes, actually, how we dealt with violence in that game. Since it's uh, focused on teenagers, teen sleuths, uh, we wanted to say, well, you can take those skills, but the advice to the GMs is basically to treat you like you would in the real world if you beat somebody or killed somebody. So at a certain point it says, yeah, if you want to be able to kill people, go for it. And enjoy your prison sentence. <laughs> um, and the last one I'm going to highlight is Seven Wonders by Hellgrain Press, which is a collection of amazing uh, uh, stories. Pick up and play, short form, slash LARP. Uh, games from women and non-binary creators from the United Kingdom being pr- produced by Pelgrane Press in a hardcover that is absolutely stunning. Check it out. There's just so much stuff in there that... Um, it's at their booth, uh, 401. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a game... One of the games. First game on there is you're playing the kids who came back from Narnia. And your trauma and your therapist. <laughs> like, that's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it, so just a quick question, one that I was interested in. Uh, microscope? Uh, yes. Do you know if that's uh, Indie Press Revolution is the best place for that. I'm yeah. sorry, say again? Indie Press Revolution. Indie Press Revolution. Uh, go to Indie Press Revolution as well as the IGDN booth. And, and I think we have maps. And Drive Through RPG have a lot of these games for sale. Yes, I have maps. Also, if you want to try out some of these games, they're being run at Games on Demand in the Marriott all weekend. So you can check that out. So these independent games are possibly being played there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Please feel free to come by, and we'll be happy to chat.